when I was growing up, I, uh, I had a hard time fitting in. Always did. Unless I could start at a young age, too, when I was, uh, oh, back in preschool, where I remember trying to, uh, I remember being told it's nap time, and for the life of me, I couldn't sleep, so I would just roll over left and right, and the teacher would, uh, inevitably say, Brian, that's my legal name, by the way. Just quit bugging the other kids. Go to sleep. Try to go to sleep. If you can't, just quit bugging the other kids. What I would do is I'd just poke them. You know, just like, you can't sleep, you can't sleep, you can't sleep. This, uh, this little playful attitude and everything persisted. And, um, remember being out in the, uh, it was like kindergarten. <clears throat> and I'm playing swing, what was it, the, the tetherball. And all of a sudden... Some big third grader comes up, and I'm wanting to play with somebody. And he comes up, and he goes, you want to play? And I'm just like, yeah. And he takes the ball, and he throws it as hard as he can at my face. I go flying on my ass, and boom. He's like, but I don't want to play with you. And then he says something like that, and he walks off. And it's just like, I, I think that's the first time I really got to see how mean some kids can be and everything. And for me, it's just like, it didn't make sense, you know? It's just, I could be in class and didn't make a difference, no matter what I would say. Inevitably, it would piss off, piss off some of the kids, you know? So, and that, that persisted throughout my entire life, too. You know, so where I could just be in the wrong situation or the right situation, and inevitably somebody will find a way to be pissed off at me. It doesn't matter. Now, the whole time, you know, throughout my life and everything, I was trying to figure out the world around me. You know, trying to figure out who I am, why I'm here, what's going on. You know, I remember my mom and dad taking me, or my mom taking me to... Sunday school on a regular basis, and then all of a sudden, by the time I was, like, able to question things and everything, I ended up finally, you know, preventing it from happening. I just didn't find the use in it, you know? It was just, sure, it was nice having, <laughs> I don't know, I, there was nothing fun about it. It felt sterile, it felt fake, it felt contrived, it felt, uh and then it just, um, you know, finally I ended up convincing my mom. It's just like, I'm just not getting anything out of it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not, you know, I'm tired after a week of school and everything. And I want to be home relaxing with you and dad. You know, and it, they just didn't really, you know, I mean, actually I wanted to be out playing with my friends, the ones that I did have and everything. But but all the, t all the while, I really had been actively trying to understand myself. You know, I wasn't necessarily trying to understand the world. I was just trying to understand me. Why was it I was so fucking uncoordinated? Why was it uh, the other kids could run so much further than I could, you know? And why is it I got winded after running, you know, 50 meters? You know, um, all this kind of stuff and everything. It just didn't make any sense to me. 
You know, why, why was I, I felt so different and everything, you know, compared to these other kids. And, and this was consistent, absolutely consistent. You know, this happened throughout, you know, grade school and, and even up to the point of high school and where I ended up getting involved in PE and, you know, that kind of stuff and everything. But, you know, I tried for certain sports. So mom and dad got me involved in soccer and, I just wasn't, uh, I didn't have any endurance for it. Didn't matter what position I played. I found myself constantly winded as a result of it, you know? So I just, you know, I guess I was a big wimp is what it comes down to. And, you know, I just, um, and I kept looking at the other kids saying, why is it, it you, you all, you know, so many around me, you know, seemed gifted, you know, um, why is it, you know, I'm consistently last when it comes down to running around that track, you know, when it comes down to, um, being picked for softball or baseball and, you know, for during PE class and that kind of stuff. I knew why I was consistently picked as the last kid, you know, absolutely not. It was because inevitably if that ball flew towards me, if I if I did happen to get a little bit of mid on it, it would be lucky, you know. But more often than not, that ball would slide right through my mitt and boom, nail me in the face or something like that. It's like the world had something out to get, you know, to get me and everything. So it's just you know it's just weird. I mean, I was trying to figure figure myself out, you know, throughout the whole per- this whole period of growing up and. And I really, you know, in a lot of cases, I found myself lost. So what I ended up starting to do was actually starting to pay attention to those around me. What is it other kids do? You know, why is it, um, you know, a kid that uh, can run around the block on a consistent basis or, you know, do, do extremely well with the track and field type events and everything? You know, what is it they do? You know, um... If I mock them, mimic them, you know, do I pick up the same skills? You know, and really what I started realizing, especially as I started getting older, um, didn't take that long, about 16, 17 years old, I started realizing, well, one of the first things I've got to do is diminish in my mind the amount of pain that I feel. I, in a literal sense, had to actually master my own body by, by more or less acting like the pain wasn't there, pushing myself through it. Now, nowhere was this more evident when I joined, uh, I joined the military. It was about 2002, where that's where I met Snowden, Edward Snowden, at Fort Meade. And I was going through AI team, but uh, I went through basic training over at Fort Knox, and Pretty much since since I was 16 years old, I'd started working out avidly, and uh, I'd come to believe that my ability to, um, you know, my stamina was really kind of shitty, you know, but uh, when it came down to it, I had pretty good brute strength. You know, I had the capability to lift, you know, quite a bit, um, even though I was, you know, kind of skinny and, you know, when it came down to meeting or you know, just uh, skin and bones, 98 pounds coming out of the 8th grade and everything. By the time I graduated, I ended up hitting 178, you know, and 
and at that point then this it a lot of it started with working out on a regular basis starting when I was 16 years old so by the time I ended up being told that uh, you know in order to join the NSA I had to go through basic training and through AIT and successfully pass each one I started getting worried. You know, I had a full year and a half, two years to prepare for the event and everything. That's how long uh, we ended up taking to go through the contractual type obligations and everything. <coughs> and uh, once that ended up happening, um, for that next year and a half, two years, I pushed myself more than I've ever pushed myself in my life when it came down to the physical. And it's the first time that I actually listened to my body and, and started paying attention to the unique aches and pains that my body was feeling, you know, and I started pushing through it. And uh, I knew that the military would have, have me running about six miles a day. Um, I knew that I had to have, for a two-mile run, I had to have basically about 15 minutes for that two-mile run. And this comes from a guy that, seriously, I had a hard time finishing in two miles and 30 minutes. So here I was trying to actually do something that, you know, just my body wasn't, uh, wasn't, hadn't been suited for ever. You know, I had intense pains and everything that sent me spiraling and throwing up off to the side of the, off to the side of the road and everything, whatever I ended up doing running or the side of the track and everything when I did running in high school. And it wasn't, I, I don't know if you can say it was contrived or not, but um, it was one of those things that I just, um, I knew what I wanted, I knew that I wanted in, and I knew that I wanted, um, that I had to do this, you know, this is a part of it. You know, I myself, I had gotten past the point of thinking anything was impossible by this point already, and um, I had some weird experiences throughout my life, you know, remember one time my dad, you know, giving me shit and everything about uh, about some of the things that the, you know, basically the bullying and everything that happened. And uh, one day he ends up getting on the mini bike. We had an 85 mini bike that I freaking loved. I took it out to the out to the um, field all the time and I ended up racing the thing up and down the road at 40 miles an hour. <coughs> Dirt road, mind you. But uh, one day after I'd been bullied once, once too many times, um, I had been going up and down the street and everything with my skates, you know, when the bullies had come, come at me, just making fun of me with my roller skates and everything that I loved. And my dad's just like, you know, at first he's, he's living, he's just kind of pissed off that, you know, that the kids should care at all about what it is I find fun. You know, then he ended up realizing his son needed thicker skin. And uh, he ended up doing something that I consider pretty magnificent. Pretty weird, but uh, I did, it was wholly unexpected. So he goes, um, we're going to go for a ride. I'm just like, what? He goes, come out here. I'm going to pull you on the minibike. I'm just like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, so we're, we're going on the minibike and everything. And I'm noticing he's increasing speed. And I'm just like going, okay, this isn't good. 
as we're driving down, or going down the road and everything, we start heading towards the park too. Now, my dad, he's he's got this thing gunned as fast as it can go, and I'm nervous. I've been nervous since 25 miles an hour and everything, but now he's got the thing going about 45 miles an hour, which is the absolute top range for this thing. Um, I'm mortified because those skates, the interest like all it takes is hitting one rock and all of a sudden, boom, I'm spilling all over my ass and all I'm seeing is just the potential for me, you know, walk away with another fucking concussion like I had one, one time when I fell on the motorbike, uh, the minibike and everything. So I'm just, I've started yelling at this point right before, dad, I want to go home now. I want to go home. No. You know, he yells, no, we're going to keep going. And uh, he's got his beer in hand, and it's just like, this is my dad, his, my dad's lessons. So he's got his beer in his hand, and he takes a swig of it, and we end up uh, hopping, you know, going uh, through a driveway and up into the park at this point. And now, all of a sudden, I'm mortified as he aims directly for the grass. Now, mind you, I'm on skates. You know, and mind you, I'm holding on to. There's a little bar on the back of this of, of this mini bike and everything, and I'm afraid to let go because of the speed. So he's sitting there and he's he starts gunning and goes, "Hold on," and I and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, this isn't gonna be good." But I didn't let go. I couldn't let go because of my fear of getting all skinned up. I kept having that race through my head. So all of a sudden he aims it for for you know for the grass and I'm crying, Dad, don't! I'm gonna fall! I'm gonna fall! I'm screaming! I'm screaming! I'm screaming! And all of a sudden we end up hitting the grass, and something magical happened. I didn't fall. Now mind you, this park is full of gopher holes. It's got a big huge divot. It's got jumps all over the place. It's got everything, and. As we're flying at 45 miles an hour, he's jumping, he's going, he's doing all these things and everything. By all means, by all measures, I should have fallen on my ass. I should have tripped. I should have, my skate should have just all of a sudden, you know, caught something, you know. But we're going straight through this and for, and the park is huge. I mean, it's also adjoining to the school, or it's not huge, but it's it's pretty big, and it's also adjoining to a school too. So we head through the to the school, and they're not, you know, they're connected, and there's no gates or anything like that, you know. So we go through the school, and the school I remember is even worse with the divots and the potholes and everything out in the uh, in the grassy area that's outside the the part where you play ball, and um, he's still gunning it, and all of a sudden. I started laughing because I looked down and my feet are floating. I should she not, my feet are floating above the ground. I don't know how it happened. Now, I, I've never told anybody that story. It was the first time in my life that I saw magic. Something happened that defied my explanation. I I can't explain it. I was maybe, I mean, this was before I moved from California to um, to Arizona, so I was maybe eight or nine years old. And um, as I look down, my skates are floating above the ground, maybe two, three inches above it. You know, I'm not only am I not hitting grass, I'm not hitting anything. I'm floating through air. And I'm just like on... I don't know how to mentally comprehend it. So, 
as my life proceeds and everything, as I get older. Um, and we end up going back that day and everything, and I I didn't know what to say to my dad. You know, I'd stopped crying by then. I had gotten a weird sense of confidence that I couldn't explain. Um, I didn't... I was just... It, it's one of those things that I just didn't know. I didn't know and I didn't understand how it happened. Now, this isn't fantasy. This is real. You know, this isn't uh, a lucid cue dream or anything like this. This is my real childhood. I never did wear the skates again. Because I did think they were a, a little bit dorky out, outdoors and everything. Maybe I did listen to the kids too much. But I still went to the roller rink all I could. And even when I moved to Arizona and everything, I went to the roller rink there as well. <coughs> I love skating around on the professional skates and everything. You know, the little cheesy ones and everything. My concern had always been getting caught by a rock. You know, but here I'd been taught in a, an extraordinary lesson. You know, that, um, that nothing can stop me if I don't want it to. And I didn't know how to control that. Now, it's the only time to my awareness that I've ever levitated. And it came at, you know, came at a point where I had just, um, I was so mortified. But I was so trusting <coughs> in my father. That was just... That just between the two, my mind found a way to. <coughs> Damn it! My mind found found a found a way to mitigate the risk. Now it did it in a way that didn't make sense. And um, I don't know. I can't really, I can't really explain. I mean, I can't explain how it, what how it happened. It wasn't illusion. You know, it's not that much different than what was documented in the Bible with Jesus and everything. Every human has the innate capability to be able to do it. It's just a matter of understanding, you know, that in that case, my fear, combined with my trust in my father, ended up ensuring that I, I was safe. So, anyways, um... Fast forward a little bit back to the two years of training. So for two years, I ended up, uh, you know, basically looking back at some of the times like that, and um, I used that as my power. You know, I used that as my energy. It's just like, you know, I did something. Well, it may have been my father, but really, it felt like I did it. You know, the whole levitation thing and everything. And there's more that's going on with these other kids, you know, that meets the eye. Because I've met some people that have turned their lives around when it comes down to themselves, you know, when it comes down to their physical qualities and everything. They have done remarkable things to their body. And yet one of the problems I consistently had was I couldn't. You know, so physically for some reason... Um, it didn't feel like I had good control of my, my physical image. So, 
I ended up at this point, I ended up starting to say, okay, what is it that, that other people do differently than me? Now, I had been doing this for quite some time by this point anyways, you know, so when it comes down to eating habits and diet and exercise and not drinking, I mean, I had four years where I chose not to drink and everything um, or party at all during that period of time. I think it was 18 to 22. I didn't start drinking again until I was 23. Um, I ended up, you know, ended up going through several different trainers. Uh, ended up starting to run on the treadmill and doing that on a regular basis. And for the life of me, I couldn't overcome simplistic hurdles, such as breaking, I had broke a 10-minute mile, you know, during my 30s and everything. But I hadn't been able to actually decrease that time because of the pains that were going on in my side. Um, I had attempted to get my weight down thinking and blaming that my, my weight was the problem. But uh, I, I remember one time being dumbfounded when I saw some big, burly dude. The guy was 350 pounds. He was a football player. He was working, over at the, working out at the gym that I was working at. And the guy was running a, uh, he was running a, fi- um, basically it was about a six-minute mile on the treadmill. Now the treadmill was practically crushed, but I was just like, oh my God, you know, this guy's, he could eat a house, and yet he's he's doing this, and not only that, but he's also doing it without with barely breaking a sweat and everything, you know. So I started realizing there's something. It's not a physical quality that's preventing me, you know, from being able to achieve the things physically that I want to. You know, um, it's a mental, it's a psychological thing. You know, I kept blaming certain aspects of my health and everything. I wasn't asthmatic. You know, I wasn't, um, I didn't have uh, problems, you know. I'm sure I had high triglycerides, but I can actually manage that through, you know, through nutrition. You know, but when it came down to it, there there was no, no real psychological reasons why that was preventing me from being able to achieve the things that I wanted to. It just hurt. The pain was too fucking intense. So what I ended up doing for this first two years was basically pushing myself to the point of actually throwing up every fucking time. I would go until, I mean, I would wake up on a consistent basis at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and I would make it a fact to actually run for an hour to an hour to two hours every day. You know, and eventually I ended up getting that time to go down, and uh, I got it to go down pretty rapidly. So by the time I ended up joining the military, I was already already performing within, you know, within the top fifty percent of uh, of the class. You know, anyways, and I'm in a class full of, you know, full of kids. That's the cool thing too. You know, guys that are fresh out of high school. You know, ones that are, you know, doing, you know, basically um, the ones that I, I envied, you know, straight out of, uh, or that were back in high school and, you know, that kind of stuff. I envied them, flat out envied them. And um, then all of a sudden here I was performing, in a lot of cases, better than them. And finally, I ended up seeing this uh, this one kid through a basic training. He reminded me of me. He was um, not the brightest kid in the world. And uh, as he's as he's doing sit-ups, somehow they let him in. They let him slip into, 
you know, to the military and everything. Um, in in U.S. Army, you have uh, three primary areas, things that you have to do. So one's push-ups, one, one set-ups, and the other one's uh, the run times. And it's all based on, it's co- all correlated to your age and uh, and your weight, more or less correlated, to, heavily correlated to your age. So if you're a certain age, you should be performing at certain rates and everything. And they've got a mid-range, they've got a high range, and they've got a low range. And you've got point-based schedule system, too. So you have a max uh, amount of points that you can get for that's called the PFT, or physical fitness testing, of 300 points. Now... I was scoring when I initially went in about 220. Um, all I needed to score was 180 graduate basic training. So I had already been in the range of what was expected during basic training and everything. So that I, I was doing fine physically. It was just, you know, the combat type stuff and everything. That's actually what I'd be educated on. And, uh, you know, so I ended up going through all this training and everything. And... As I paid attention to one kid in particular who was literally at the bottom rungs and everything, he came in and day one, the guy couldn't do a push, uh, couldn't do a setup, not to save his life. Within two weeks, I had him doing three. And uh, by the time he graduated, he ended up doing, I think it was a bare minimum, 35, but he still graduated. I was pretty impressed with that. They managed to turn this kid around pretty quickly and everything and, and gave him some confidence when it came down to his physical fitness. So... You know, for me, going through all this and everything, you know, seeing what I consider small miracles happen, you know, just really kind of impressed me. You know, it's just like, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, I mean, I believed in myself and everything. And that's actually what already got me to that point of being able to do it. You know, but it, it never in a million years did I think I would actually be outperforming things. You know, I just thought I'd be able to do enough just to get by. Then, that's when... uh that's when we ended up going to AIT, and this is going through the training that's, you know, joint training with the uh, the NSA type uh, type of influences and everything going on there. Well, I did something that way completely went beyond what I expected to do. I ended up breaking three hundred points on the uh, PFT. Now, let's put this in perspective: about two hundred people per platoon uh, are in, enlisted, you know, in, in each branch and everything. And that's all they allow, allow to go through the school at any given time. That's why I ended up waiting two years in order to be able to go through this as well. <coughs> and um, with that said, they had, uh, you know, a whole bunch of us that were, you know, we we kind of knew, you know, it was it wasn't that hidden about everybody's, you know, being, and nothing was ever said, mind you, about others being the intelligence services or anything like that, but we still had the same expectations when it came down to our physical fitness, you know, where if we scored 260 or above, um, we would get leniency, and what that meant was we can actually, uh, we can choose our workout hours. Um, If we got 300 or above, then at that point, not only could we choose our own working hours, but we could also eat what we wanted. And that was really interesting to me, is because here, you know, the, they had the drill sergeants in the mess hall and everything, and to be able to eat what I wanted and everything, I didn't take advantage of it that much, you know. Sure, I had a couple things, a uh, couple things that I were a little bit beyond expected, but the simple fact of the matter was, 
Um, it was about three weeks into it over there. They ended up putting me in the, the fastest running group. And I had just busted 12.56 for a two-mile. And I, I mean, we're talking, you know, that's a five-and-a-half, no, it's a, it's a little bit, it's about a six-and-a-half-minute mile. And um, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm just like, holy fucking shit. And um, I think I ended up getting all the way down to 12.34 for, uh, for two miles. And um, at that point, I just like... Whatever it was, I ended up getting, I ended up getting, it was like a perfect um, highest score that you could, you know, for, I mean, I got a high score for the, you know, for the sit-ups and for the push-ups, but whatever it was I got for the, uh, for the running, just not, I couldn't believe it. And uh, they had put me in this running group with the, with the A guys. And I was in that group for a grand total of a week because the whole same pains that came back to me and everything, they shot to me the first two days. I ended up overcoming them, overcoming them psychologically. First, the first day, it was, uh, I remember Drill Sergeant, uh, the, oh God, I can't remember his name. Ah, it's going to kill me. Anyways, um, Bozeman was one of the other ones, too, and I ended up dropping out of line real fast uh, d during, the, uh, during the run because they ran 13 miles a day, basically. And um, as I ran off to the side, um, and mind you, the PFT, it's a, it's, it's a scheduled thing, um, and it happens, I think it's like once a month or something like that. So I, by the, by this point, before, when I'd been put into A, I hadn't been disallowed from, uh, going for the workouts and everything, um, or working out when I felt like it. But, uh, yeah, I fell out of line real quickly and ended up going off to the side, just throwing it, you know, throwing up nothing, you know, I mean, it's four o'clock in the morning. I've got nothing in my stomach at that point, nothing but bile and, I get back into line real fast as the uh, drill sergeant come out and goes, "Come on, Gray, Gray, get your ass in line," you know. And they—it was almost like a tough love with these guys, you know. And, and I absolutely respected the guys, you know, for what they did and everything. All of them, you know. I actually have no drill sergeants that I have anything against. They were actually all yeah, things that you see in the movies and everything. Yeah, they can be hard asses, but. Really, when it comes down to it, they're people. You know, they're they're there to to help you be a better version of you. I knew that going in. You know, now they want you to be optimal for you fitting into the military. But ultimately, in the military, you're still an individual that has a life, has a choices that you make, and has contributions that you want to make towards society and that kind of stuff, you know, and um, while you may fit specific duties and that kind of stuff, I never really had a problem with, uh, you know, with, with being pushed and everything, and the drill sergeant kind of laughed and everything, you know, later, you know, when I ended up coming back in line, he was, he, you know, kind of admired me, you know, for basically coming back back to it. I was bound and intent now, you know, to get that 300 once I saw that it was within the realms of possibility. And when I hit that, it was actually one of the proudest moments I've ever had in my life. You know, getting 300 on a PFT when, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking it's a, I mean, it's a measurable way, you know, to basically say, hey, my running, um, my ability to be able to 
you know, do sit-ups and push-ups and all this kind of basic stuff and everything that I, I couldn't do back in high school for some reason, I'm kicking ass with. I'm not the same person I used to be. That was like my statement to myself. You know, it's like, I'm changed. I'm profoundly different. You know, I'm becoming something much different. So, fast forward to, you know, to the last, uh, last couple of weeks. You know, coming back here and seeing my father and my mom, helping them out around the house, it's, it's actually been kind of nice. I came in, the house was a mess, and you, know, you could smell the dog pee and all that kind of stuff. And between the two, my brother and me, we've helped clean things up and everything. They had kind of let things go a little bit. And I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I, I know, you know, I've spent the last six years being homeless and everything, learning and teaching myself about confidence from a different perspective. The psychological confidence to know that I can do anything I want to. You know, and know that I don't have to depend on people. And I just do because of the fact that it makes me feel good to be around people. It's like that military thing. You know, when I started realizing I'm not that man that I was before, you know, that, that, uh, not necessarily in best of health and all that kind of stuff. You know, that transition period meant a lot to me. You know, and I do. I have the U.S. Army and the, uh, and the NSA to thank for that. I mean, sincere, gracious appreciation for what they've helped me out with my, in my own life and everything. But then, you know, somewhere along the way, I lost my way and I got a little beat up psychologically. You know, because my profession and everything, I just burned out on heavy. I got to working for a lot of jack-offs, you know, people I just didn't like, you know. I, I met some of the, met and mingled, and dealt with some of the richest people in the world, and I came to have a little disdain for society. You know, one guy I thought I'd like in person and everything ended up being a total jackass, and I had absolutely no respect for the guy, Warren Buffett. I'm just... I, Going through all that, I, I came to question my country. Now, I had questioned my country before then, but going through all this and seeing some of these people do what they do and understanding what was happening behind the scenes just wasn't making me happy. You know, anything from Kenneth Lay, you know, I mean... The guy faked his death. He's in Argentina right now, and I don't think that's a bad thing because Jeffrey Skilling was the architect behind the, the programs that ended up fucking over Enron. Now, I know this. You know this now. There's no way to prove it, you know, without... I mean, even then, you can take a trip to Argentina and go look for yourself, you know, but... This was going on regularly, where people would rape the system, rape the people that were within it, and as a result, they'd take the profit and leave. Well, and in a lot of cases, they'd use wonderful marketing in order to promote what they what they've did, what they've done, and not only that, but they'd also use marketing from a different angle to be able to defuse situations to make it look like they were much better than they were. It's like having the like button on Facebook without having a dislike button. 
you have no way of providing negative feedback and everything when the rich and famous are controlling you know, the internet. This is why it's so important for net neutrality to be abolished. Net neutrality, all it does is a lot of the wealthy people, you know, those, I shouldn't say the wealthy people, but those people that actually are used to controlling media, to control it. Now, I'm not saying I'm Robin Hood and we need to give to the poor and take from the rich or anything like that, because I, I'll become no better than them at that point, you know, but um, what, what I think is really important is just, you know, for me anyway, is just saying, you know, as I pursued my MBA, I was really questioning my ambitions, you know, um, I pursued my bachelor's in marketing, and I pursued my master's in business, and uh, pursued the master's in business in part because I wanted to get into VP level roles and CIO, CTO, you know, level roles and everything. That, and I also wanted to open up doors abroad. You know, I love the idea of being able to take an MBA and going to a company overseas and basically saying, look, you know, um, not only do I have the skills as a programmer and everything, but I also have the skills as a high-level manager, you know, high-level leader. And um, here's the proof. Here's the evidence. Now, here's all the companies I used to work for, and here's who I've done business with and everything. And, um, you know, my resume is, like I said, I, I said before, it's 13 pages long now. No, that's my long resume. My short one's two, uh, two pages long, but uh, I prefer my 13-page one. But the fact, fact of the matter is, you know, as I was going through that whole phase of pursuing that MBA, I started looking at my classmates, and I started realizing I'm not like them. Not a single one of them. Even my friend, you know, Ricardo Escalante, he was one of my uh, good friends going through this program and everything over to Thunderbird, you know, my reason for pursuing the MBA was, you know, to find better opportunities. Um, that was definitely one. But another one was to understand um, markets, understand the economical systems, understand, you know, the value of culture and things I didn't understand that weren't available to me from a cultural perspective and everything. And, and Thunderbird did an awesome job with that. You know, but one of the things it introduced was a conceptual idea that maybe, maybe the things that I've learned about this world and everything need reframed. You know, because I've looked at it, particularly when I took a trip over to China and everything and Cuba, and uh, when I started looking at uh, less economically developed countries and everything, I started actively asking the question. What if America's way of life is an egocentric perspective and everything? But what if it's just one of many ways of life and everybody believes that they have the best way of way of life and everybody believes in their heart that where they're at is where everybody else wants to be? I know that's a little bit weird to think, but you know, America we 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 tend to filter out the media that actually leads us to believe that other people don't want to come to our country. Now, we tend to, in a lot of cases, 
you know, see a lot of things that try to defame our leadership, you know, constantly undermine our leadership and everything. And people jump on that bandwick and all the time and everything. You know, but for me, it's just like, eh, you know, with the exception of what I consider one bad apple, Mr. Buffett, I like all the rest of them. I haven't gotten to work with Bill Gates, but I've gotten to work with everything he does. I'm nothing but impressed with the man. Always have been. I'd love to shake his hand one time. I almost did one time. I went up to Seattle a couple of years ago with uh, Stanley. When uh, we ended up driving across country, he uh, moved from Los Angeles over to uh, to Seattle, and I ended up commuting up um, uh, or take you know driving up there with him to keep him company. And you know, it was a good way for me to escape being on the on the streets for a couple of weeks and everything. He let me have his apartment for the two over in uh, Studio City for the two weeks that he was uh, his lease was still going on. That was nice. But one of the things that uh, that was really kind of like important for me was, um, you know, I ended up uh, taking a trip out to uh, to Bill Gates's place and saw his place from the outside. And I looked at the security gate. And I looked at the uh, looked the out exterior. And I just asked the question. And this is a real simple question. Why do people hide? We stood there by the gate. We were parked up there for about five minutes. It was just like, well, are you going to do anything? I'm just like, looking at the gate. I'm just like, gone. If I was Bill Gates, and I've got this barricade out there in the security system, you know, and I've done my best to hide a lot of things that people see on the internet and everything about me. But I'd want some random dude coming up, knocking on my door. Is that security guy? Does he make enough of a statement to those people? Does that door, massive door, that I've got protecting my my building, my place of residence and everything, not enough, not make enough of a statement. So I thought about it briefly. And I thought about overcoming my own objections, and I just started thinking about things from his perspective. How many people? Go up and try the same thing on a regular basis. <laughs> how many times? How many random people, random strangers, come up to them and say the same shit over and over again? I just started thinking, you know, Stanley, let's go. That's why I told him, you're not going to do it? No. No, we've seen it. I've seen the front and everything. I'm going to respect the men's privacy. I really want to. Without hesitation, I really want to. But if anything, I learned, uh, learned a lesson in the past. When I ended up um, walking up to Jamie Lee Curtis while I saw her over at uh, the airport over in Maui. 
her security guard jumped right in front of me that fast. Miss Curtis doesn't want to see people right now. I'm like, oh, okay. It, was a little, it felt a little bit embarrassing, to be honest. So I just turned around, walked over to my ex, my uh, ex-wife, who it was our first, uh, it was our uh, anniversary, or as our uh, honeymoon. I thought I'd just, uh, I'd just like to go over and shake her hand because I just loved, loved her and every movie that she's been in, Trading Places and True Lies and movies go back even before then. Same thing for Bill Gates. So, in any case, I have had this in the last couple of years and everything, a transition that's been happening of my own mind. Confidence. I mean, I've been to some of the most, or literally the most dangerous countries in the world. Slept in police stations and bomberos, fire departments and everything all throughout Central America. Ended up getting put up by the military over in Honduras. Talked to and had some uh, CIA spooks over to Tegucigalpa. They ended up bringing me a couple bags of food and everything. They knew who I was. They knew perfectly well who I was, and they knew why I was down there. And I remember the sad look that the girl had in her eyes, too. Three of them came out when I went to, um, to the State Department there, to the embassy. And they're just like, well, we understand. You know, you're just, um, I mean, I ended up going to the embassy because of was having some problems with my passport, as in it had been stolen. <laughs> but I realized throughout the process and everything that um, I can make it through anything. And not only that, but uh, the whole the whole concept of ident personal identification of Q is as immortal as Brian. I didn't have answers for when I floated. Flat out didn't have answers. I didn't know why. I hadn't identified myself like a person might identify themselves with a, somebody listed in the Bible or something like that. I didn't see the similarities. But when I saw that shit that I saw out in the desert, when I saw when I saw terrain start changing, different places that I'd go to, and people's attitudes and personalities completely change. When I saw you know, it just comes down to cues. It's a transition. It's not that less personally meaningful, you know, than being able to to break the 300 for the APFT, Advanced Physical Fitness Training. So, a couple weeks ago when I got up here, my mom, one of the first things she said was, take it easy on your father with the Q thing. I made it clear to my mom, the Q thing isn't a thing. It's who I am. You know, it's, it's identity. It's 
just may. If he takes issue with it, that's his problem. So, since he's been back, he's certainly had a couple times I've taken issue with it. And I refuse to answer. It's kind of funny. He'll go, Brian, Brian, Brian. God damn it, Q. So I'd answer, yes, Dad. <laughs> Can you do this? And it's just like, you know, so he's, he's starting to get used to it. My mom actually made the comment today. I kind of laughed. She goes, I heard your father call you Q. And I said, yeah, it's like programming. You know what? You guys are teachable. You're learnable. It's kind of funny. So, Q is just an identity. It's, it's transition in a state of mind. It's a more powerful form of me. It's still the same mind, still the same being, just a different status. And I just realized this as I'm going through and doing the same thing I did yesterday with the Grand Theft Auto modifications. I've got something called OpenIV. And um, it's, a, uh, it's a tool that... Uh, what happens is uh, Grand Theft Auto, when it loads up, it um, has, has these files that it depends on called RPF files. And the RPF files contain the texture, contain um, the data, they contain the 3D maps, and uh, they contain all the imagery and everything for it. Well, this is just Grand Theft Auto out of the box. And I'm um, starting to look through it, and as I'm looking through it, I'm realizing that a lot of this appears like it's hacked. You know, this doesn't appear like a game per se as much as it does. It looks like somebody has hacked this together. And I'm talking about the original stuff, too. And I'm just actually, you know, wondering about the design origin of this thing. Is it really a game? You know, or is it just basically somebody doing an interpretation of information? And they're putting it, they're ordering it in a way that actually makes sense to them. But that order itself may not necessarily be the only order there is. Now, I can't really go too much into detail on that, but one thing I'm actually going through right now is I ended up um, stepping through a whole shitload of different files. And uh, as I've thought about this, um, I, I was checking out the, where all the billboards were on the Sunset Strip. So... I've got one, two, probably about 10 different files, images, PNG images that actually contain, each one of them has, what was it, eight, yeah, eight different billboards on each one. And the resolution on this is 2048 by 1024. So the resolution for each billboard is 500 and or is a, it's 2048 by 2048, so the resolution for each billboard is 1024 by 512. So, it's not tremendously high resolution for each billboard, but it still, <coughs> it still looks pretty good, and that's actually what I displayed yesterday, and put down on the page and everything. So, as I've been thinking about this, you know, I've been thinking about this from a Q perspective. Now, let's say... You know, the world itself deviated back in World War II. So we're Nazi Germany and America. We both got into a battle, you know, a war of wills, if you will, about um, when it comes down to the pursuit of 
the whole concept of um, kind of like Captain America. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Captain America is actually based on real events that happened during World War II, where human testing was actually occurring, and on a regular basis, uh, this is this is occurring because the same kind of testing was happening with Germany, and it was a a war not just for armaments and everything, but for the advancement of the physical human body in order to be basically allow us to compete with them. So for everything that was going on with Germans, a lot of things were very similar in nature were going on with the uh, with the Americans. And the super soldier program was actually reality. Well, so in this reality, it's my belief that among the reasons that we have so many superhero movies and TV shows and all that shit is a split in reality actually happened the creation of an alternate timeline an alternate world and potential set of worlds and everything was created based on um, the continued war between two different countries and everything and this you know super soldier type stuff and everything and the creation of a uh, real life real world based superheroes and everything well eventually it started veering back towards the primary timeline, our timeline, and uh, my timeline, I should say. And uh, eventually it came to, you know, came to our world via entertainment sources. So what we were seeing was information and ideas and concepts and everything that were very real in these opposing worlds and everything. You know, but um, for us, it came to us and most of us thought it, that that was just fiction. It was just entertainment. It wasn't real, you know. Not knowing that how time worked and what Einstein presented literally caused a split or rupture, a, a threading, a branching of time, if you will, back during World War II, somewhere in there. Now, there isn't any direct evidence of this, and I'm not going to ever be able to prove that. But what I can do is actually start saying, okay, so rather than being the victim of another split like that, instead basically start taking this and, you know, realistically look at this and start planning for an alternate reality. So that's actually what's, you know, creating the catalyst, you know, for me actually doing this Grand Theft Auto modification and everything. I've been actively thinking, okay, let's say my reality you know, is going to remain relatively unchanged. We're going to get media from alternate sources and everything, from the alternate timelines. You know, but if if I actually start envisioning this other world, you know, not just from a, you know, hey, a what-if, um, purely self-indulgent, um, I don't know, what's the best word for it? perverted perspective. Now, instead think about this from a perspective of everything that I'm thinking of is perfectly normal in this other world. So in much the same way, if we were to visit a superhero's world or something like that with Captain America and Iron Man and Spider-Man and all this other kind of shit, all that stuff's happening on a regular basis and all that's perfectly normal. If we were to visit the other, this other world, it would be perverted sexually perverted. From our perspective, it would be sexually perverted. From their perspective, it would be perfectly normal. They'd be sitting there going, my God, you guys are all fucking prudes. You know? 
And uh, one of the key figureheads I have in this is a woman by the name of Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Girl loves being fucking naked. You know, she she's constantly telling people take photos of her. You know, and not only that, but uh, she's also, you know, how many times she's been not necessarily caught paying. She's just like taking a link wherever she wants to, and she has somebody taking a camera out, and she's, you know, doing some kind of, you know, gesture with her mouth and everything. Well, this is the kind of world that, that a girl like that can hail from. You know, literally. It's just like, that's the reason she, she is who she is. You know, it's not that, um, that she's perverted, you know, she's just, she's acting like, like this is normal for her reality. Well, all the things that we have for, you know, for porn would also come from that world, too, or I shouldn't say everything. A lot of things that we have for porn would also come from this other world, too. You know, so anytime you see, you know, people having sex on the internet or something like that, all this material would be coming from that world. So, you know, and that's, you know, that's the whole thing is with so much information that's coming out, you know, what if this, what if that's actually resting in my mind is what if we start intentionally master planning reality as a society, as a world, whenever we get too much material that basically breaks the moral psychological structure, psycho moral, psychological, ethical structure of our world, rather than trying to fictionalize it, or rather than trying to find, find buckets to put these people that are in, in these professions and everything with, and everything, rather than doing all that, you know, increasingly finding that there's, it's harder and harder to accomplish this, instead basically start saying, look, we're going to start actively creating alternate realities. We're going to start actively identifying them as such. I mean, fuck, I'm taking GTA, you know, and I'm literally mapping out, you know, hey, what would an ad look like? You know, so in one of the ads, I just found a wonderful picture of, um, of Miley herself, and uh, she's got this really, I'm trying to figure, think of an ad to uh, come up with, but she's standing basically stark naked um, in a robot-like stance and everything looking up at the sky and I've got the perfect billboard to put her on now I'm just trying to figure out how to actually put you know what what ad to put that in you know so what can I add you know can you have she looks really you know kind of awesome in this photo you know she's stark naked she's got all this decoration it's on her you know it's very attractive in my opinion um, you know, she's got a little, you know, pink hair, and she's got some weird stuff on, you know, on her legs, like brick on her legs and everything. It's an artsy pose, you know, and this is actually what I'm trying to do, is just basically say, look, you know, take, take a world and try to actually make it, you know, just be okay with it being perverted, you know, but also making sure that I put in, you know, the elements of making it, making sure that I retain class, with the advertisements and that kind of stuff. You know, because if you look at Grand Theft Auto out of the box, I mean, the advertisements in it are... I mean... So, Ellen's Liquor Lover. Um, that's one. I'm going to look at some of the others here. I'm flying through the city real quick. 
Space Monkey 3D. I mean, okay, they're okay. Uh, there's a... Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep this because I like the name of it. But it's uh, the, the name of the of the liquor store is called Liquor Hole. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny, it's lewd, and I think it's definitely something that needs to be retained because it does look older inside the game. So I'm going to retain it just for posterity's sake. But there's another, here's another ad. Tits from Jakarta, ass from Somalia, implant outsource, nothing can go wrong. It's a TV show. Um, another one prison bitches break out before they break you in you know and the ads here are just um you know that's already in the game and everything are just they're i don't know kind of like dull they're lifeless they're they're i mean sure they breathe a little life into this whole you know world and everything but for the most part they're so two-dimensional you know so um, here's another one. Okay, so, name of the company is Kaka, and it's got a girl that's, she's dressed and everything, she's got some, something around her neck, and it says, cherish it. Okay. Name of the show is Fame or Shame. Um, that's on another one. <laughs> Douche, douche gold, and uh, let it rain. It's an inference to um, if you're not familiar with the uh, the golden showers. It's another ad for Gucci. I'm gonna do a better Gucci one, that's for sure. And then another one for Burberry. So I'm going to do some classy ads and everything. Tom Ford, Soleil. We've got another one for glasses. Because she loves them. Rimmers. Since 1974. You know what? I'm going to keep the Rimmers one around. And since it's a even more sexualized thing, I'm going to come up with a... That's going to be a, a, a difficult one for me to do. You know, um... Because nudity and uh, hardcore nudity is going to be legal in this world. But I'm trying to actually make retain it class with class. So here's the thing. In our world, hardcore nudity and sex and that kind of stuff is classless. But in their world, it's fine. But there's also the line between lewd versus, uh, versus nude. So I'm going to try and find that line. Yeah, here's an older show. Back with all new casts of even more real, real C apostrophe, or C, or like the uh, asterisk NTS, of real cunts of suburbia. See, these are going to be like all in the family type things, things that might have aired in the 70s, you know, but now... You know, this is like the 2000s, and we're going to make it a completely different world. That's my goal here. It's coming up with different signs and everything, but in this time, you know, if this, let's just say this is 1970s when it uh, all this first happened. The erratic dream every woman longs for. Chains of intimacy. The U-bend of intimacy. The plug of intimacy. Um, 
So let's just say this is 1970s era type ads and everything. Now I'm going to have it with uh, a time that's, uh, <laughs> here's another ad, smell the part. It's got a guy with a, you know, just basically a big huge ball sack um, in his underwear. And it says, bull chic, it's a, uh, it's a clone. So that's what I'm trying to come up with, is crafty ads that show the progress of society that's happened in this world and everything without making it our world. A deviant society that's basically far, far, far more sexual. You know, so sexuality is, is what happens there. Serious cougar, the hunt is on. It's got some lady with, she's in her old stripper outfit, but she's in her 70s and her boobs are hanging down to the ground. So that's my goal. It's to make all this, uh, get away from that classless stuff and get more into a classy type, uh, type atmosphere. Like I said, you know, it's just like this is an exercise in imagination. How? How to do this? So what I've got so far, um, the Epsilon program. I'm going to change this one to the Scientology building. Scientology introduced me to some stuff and everything. I'm not saying I prefer them, but I like them better than... At least they, they somewhat admit they're a cult. And they're okay with that. Max Rinda, that's the one I talked about yesterday. And then Animal Kingdom. New season. Oh, this one's must be one of the add-ons somebody made. So, my goal is just basically, this is not our LA. You know, this is a separate version of Los Angeles. It's separate and distinct. Something happened historically. You know, let's just say that historical deviation was Playboy. Somewhere back there, Playboy became so profoundly affecting, you know, and then all of a sudden caused the complete disruption. And some people of the more puritanical mindset and everything ended up staying in this reality. And this other reality I'm creating, I'm just, it's like the superhero reality. It exists, it's real. It's out there. I'm playing with it. I'm constantly interacting with it and everything. You know, so I don't need the approval, you know, state-mandated approval and everything to say that it exists. And, you know, I don't need scientific, you know, consensus to basically say alternate realities are real, you know, because I see it. I'm playing in it. I'm interacting with it. It is an alternate reality that I'm fully manipulating, you know? So whether or not you say it's real or not, or collectively agree that it exists, doesn't make a shit of difference. The fact is, for me, it is fact. I'm playing it on a regular basis, and I'm creating ads for it, and I've got my first wonderful ad here, American Apparel Tops. I fixed the text on it, and it just didn't show through. Damn it. It's not going to be a perfect endeavor. But in any case, that's cute.
this is what I imagine Q is. This is imagine where I imagine it all starting. I'm in a world where I'm emerging from my mortality. Learning to control a completely different world and have total control over basically everything in it. The media, the intelligence, the AI of the systems, the three-dimensional models, the behavior, to a certain extent. I'm going to change the bean machine to Starbucks because Starbucks is definitely a uh, name that's going to be across. I gotta be able to go to my Starbucks if I go to this if I or when I go to this place, just to hang out on that corner too. As a matter of fact, and see some of the shit that goes on, because it's got a wonderful patio to it. So <clears throat> I gotta figure out how to get rid of the trash can that's right there, though. That trash can needs to go in the back, and they've got one right there. <sighs> So, in any case, um, yeah, the transition, I suppose, is becoming somebody now to some degree does mean abandoning who you were. It doesn't mean that person doesn't exist. It just means that person's no longer you. It's a past version of you. You got one, some lady running through the alley naked. That's funny. She, uh, there's a dog that stopped right in front of the door. I don't think I've ever seen dogs in this game. That's weird. I, mean, I know they have models for them. But now she's standing right in front of the door, too. With her dog. With this dog that she just ran up on. So yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do with that ad, though. So she's a robot, and... Trying to come up with good, valid ads. Things that you would actually see that look professionally done. You know, so... I don't want this to be cheesy shit. I want it to look real. I want it to feel real. I want it to be as if you went to another world, and ad agencies are in charge of these things, and... They wrecked their brains trying to come up with this ad, and they paid big money to, you know, to get somebody like her to be on this big, huge, massive billboard on the side of a building and everything. I don't want it to be cheesy at all. I want it to actually look and feel real. Not that much different than some of the ads that appear over in downtown, um, over in downtown L.A. Sunset and everything. You know, those aren't. Those appear, at least from my perspective, to be real. You know, to be perfectly 
viable ads and everything. But somebody did pay money to put on, on these billboards. So I just want this to be the same way. The same level of care. The same with with the exception that I want to adjust the mindset. Away from I shouldn't say away. Towards a more classy, sophisticated way of life, even combined with that sexuality, that open sexuality. And how do you put that in an ad? Because that's actually the chief key, is making sure that that whole cultural perspective is reinforced through the media. Leverage media to manipulate the mindset in line with the, with the goals of that I'm actually trying to strive for. Let's just say the city does bring to life. I want to be something I can actually go to and not feel sickened by. Or I can actually maybe learn something new. Or maybe even um, have fun and spend six months there like a snowbird and six months in my reality. Or maybe four months there, four months uh, here, and four months in the superhero reality. It would kind of be fun to hang out in all three. So, in any case, she was just standing there. Cigars piped down. So, um, one last thing was uh, the game that I'm working on, the other one, uh, Stiletto Susie. It's, um, I have decided to actually leverage the uh, some of the content from this. I'm going to be redoing some of the storefronts and everything. And I already found a location for Righties, the bar. And... Uh, it's got, uh, the name of the place is called Ellen's Liquor Lover. And I'm going to change the name of the place to Righties. Probably. I don't know. I'm probably going to find a seedier section of town or something like that. That's the one I've got right now. I took the images off and everything. I just want to make sure I'm, I want to make sure that I retain some of the more important landmarks and everything. For instance, the Wax Museum, and then instead of the uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, they have something called Bishop's What the Fuck, WTF. I think that's like, you know, to have these landmarks, or you got to make sure they stay there. Um, now, I'm also going to have... Um, I'm not going to change all the signs from Hollywood or from Vinewood, which was what it was named previously, to to Hollywood. I'm going to leave some signs in place. Um, probably not a whole lot, but a couple of them, because I do want, you know, I like the idea is, let's say people, you know, are 
living in this world and everything, and they see a couple Vinewood signs, I want them to question the lore. I want them, want them to actually, you know, question where, where their world came from. You know, why is it there's some things with Vinewood, you know? You know, and can they actually find history for it and everything? Vinewood. Oh, okay, so... What I'm going to do is change this one here. So it's Vinewood Blarney's World of Awesome. I'm going to change that to... Well, it's right across the street from the theater. Yeah, going to change it to something. Not... Yeah, how am I going to do this? Because that one's actually got some... Uh, it's got the lighting up front, too. It's got this fluorescent lighting in front. It's going to be fun to change. So, like I said, I'm, gonna, I'm just talking about ideas and everything. My brother had a... Uh, wonderful idea for a commercial today. I told him what I'm doing and he actually ended up pointing me to this uh, one device. I loved it. And uh, at this point I, I got totally sidetracked today looking through videos and I ended up going down the route of music videos. So there's a um, video out there. Music videos, ads for Now the the this game itself has different TV channels on it, and uh, I can actually enhance those. I can also put websites in here too. So I already changed one website over, but um, got the capability to be able to uh, put to alter the content that's on there. So there's one need fun band commercial. Which one's the commercial? Cartoons, videos. So there's an ad for something. What the fuck was the ad for? Yeah. It was for this one weird device that uh, looks like you're... Oh, is it here? No, that's not it. It looks like you're... It's by the same guys that make the uh, the the shaking thing that uh, you. It, it's the weights that are on that have springs on both sides, and you take it over your head and you shake it and that kind of stuff. It's by the same guys that do that. Anyways, there's another device that they have that uh, you can put it, tuck it in between your legs, and it literally literally looks like you're masturbating. <laughs> It's a real device. That's actually what I learned. He sent me the commercial, and I'm just like, I'm cracking up, cracking the fuck up about it. Let's see if I can find his text and everything. I can tell you what it was. It's called the Tug... On the Tug... Tug...
tug toner and um, <laughs> dynamic resistance technology. And uh, what they have is they've got this device that uh, you literally stick it in between your legs and the video is hilarious. But uh, anyways, the video has a laugh track on it, and that laugh track was put on it by Jimmy Kimmel. And I've tried finding video of this without the laugh track on it. Well, I'm thinking about just basically doing my own voiceover for it, for, for it, and uh, maybe doing the, my own dubbing and everything for it, just to make it fun. But the device is perfect, you know, for this world. It's just like, you know, you're mutually masturbating somebody else when you're working out and everything. That's part of it. It's just a fucking hilarious device and everything. Anyways, I'm trying to find commercials like that. There's another commercial, uh, you know, for devices and shit that you flat out wouldn't see the same commercials here in our world. You would there, just because these kind of things are like normal over there, you know? So, one video, um... I found was Elave, nothing to hide. And basically everybody in the commercial is completely butt-ass naked. Um, there's another one, it's a banned hot dog commercial. And uh, it's, they call it banned, I don't know if it's real or not, but it it looks real and it sounds real enough. And ultimately it's about a, a girl, gorgeous, attractive woman. She's giving a guy a blowjob. And... Um, then all of a sudden it cuts in with a Carl's Jr. It's a Carl's Jr. big sausage um, ad. And I just, I f this is perfectly fitting. I mean, it's exactly what I'm looking for. It's just like, it's lewd, it's, you know, and this is the kind of stuff that you would see on prime time and everything. You know, so, when I'm, when I, and the reason I like it is just because it's extremely high quality. It's... You know, and it actually has a message that it's sending, which is just basically, it's just like, hey, you know, this is your culture, this is who you are, this is what, what you do, you know, and this is okay, and here's what we're selling, by the way. You know, we're, it's basically, the bit, the bit, it's called the New Big Sausage Breakfast. In the end, there's a, you know, and the whole time they're alluding to, you, you can't fit this much in your mouth, and there's big load coming, and at the end, there's the guy literally spews a load in her mouth and everything. This is the kind of stuff that you would probably see in a perverted reality like this. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, then, unfortunately, like I said, I was looking for uh, print ads and that kind of stuff, and I got got down the subject of finding videos, and I found a whole section of, of um, for all intents and purposes, there what we would consider pornographic videos, um, pornographic um, music videos. And there's some extremely high quality ones. I was utterly surprised. And I'm listening to some of these songs. It's like, have you heard, if you've heard of uh, something called Skull Club music video, it's a fucking awesome video. And it's, but it's, I mean, definitely rated X by our standards. War of Hormones, another one. Kanye actually has a video out there that says, is uh, this as well. Um, I mean, Cake by the Ocean is another one that's actually really good. Gladius is another one that's uh, some... I mean, they've just done, they've done some phenomenal videos out there. So I've compiled a list of one... 
Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 songs that uh, I can actually put in a loop on like an MTV type station and everything. And it's just like, this is all it's going to play. It's just basically, most of them are just hardcore videos, you know, that, you know, feature sex and nudity is just a part of, you know, this is what this culture is. So that's all I'm trying to do, is just basically identify the culture with what you would see for ads and everything. And I've often thought about the same thing with superhero type, uh, type you know, stuff. What would you see on their media there? Have you ever thought about that? When you're in an Iron Man world, or a, um, oh, let's say, I don't know, you know, a Supergirl world or something like that. Now... In Supergirl and Flash, they all, we all, uh, if you've heard about Big Belly Burger, that's one that you would certainly hear about, right? You know, but besides news, which is the only thing you ever see in, you know, start in any of these things, you know, whether or not it's um, Iron Man or Captain America or Avengers or X-Men, the only thing we ever see, are allowed to see, are the news sources from within these worlds. We're never allowed to see ads, you know, for anything else. We're never allowed to see um, billboards, you know, or the products and services that they have in these worlds, ever. Have you ever noticed that? So that's actually what I'm trying to do, is just basically say, okay, well, you know, make this world my own, you know, it's just like, what products and ads and services would you have here? You know, I mean, you would have certainly have some things that are going to be the same that you would have here, you know, cologne and, you know, perfume and maybe bags and everything, but just going to be advertised differently. You know, I've got a wonderful ad that I found for a girl that's, uh, she's in kind of like a fetal, or kind of like in a cat crawl position and everything, her ass sticking up in the air. And um, that one in particular, it's just like it's got a purse. It's a Burberry purse on it, on her ass. You know, and it's just, it's a wonderfully classy made, you know, classily made ad. Um, these are the tra things I'm trying to figure out. It's just like, you know, how is it you position things in a way, you know, to make the nudity and sexuality relevant, you know, towards what's being advertised and everything. You know, rather than it being lewd, making it relevant towards what's being sold. Um, PETA has some awesome ones, too. So, they've got uh, Zahia by is uh, one, and she's butt-ass naked and on this. All animals have the same parts. Have a heart. Try vegetarian, and she's butt-ass naked, and it's got labels on her. Shoulder, breast, round, leg, feet. You know, just more or less, it's an advertisement for PETA. You know, the organization that saves animals and everything. It's wonderful, wonderfully translative ad that I can take directly from our world and put into their world directly. But most ads aren't going to have that kind of transition. So I'm just like sitting there going, okay, what else can I actually do? It's kind of like a thought experiment. It's hard, you know, hard thinking like this. What kind of ads do they have? What do they do in there? You know, I mean, I know what they do, you know, sex and nudity. I mean, it's what I'm making up is what's norm. You know, what, you know, I know the history, the history behind the deviants. You know, but how to actually make it so where the ads are more sophisticated now. They're more, like here's one from Stuart Weitzman. It's got three completely naked girls wearing shoes alone. They're selling the shoes.
You know, they're all in some kind of stance. It looks classy. It's black and white ad, and it's perfect, absolutely perfect. I don't know where I'm going to put it yet, you know, but it's an ad that I found for that was, you know, here in our world. Well, there's a mall. I'm going to go to that mall right now inside the game with a whole bunch of uh, high upscale stores and everything in it. And if I can find a tall ad, crock a hop. Nope, I can't. So there's no obvious place for this to go yet. Val de Grasse. But this is a. I gotta redo that sign too. It's a Vinewood sign again. So that's the question is where can I. You know, I've got a wonderful ad. Where can I put it? So, in any case. That's what I'm doing. So, thank you for listening.